This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. I've known Mike Heck now for about a quarter century. One of the longest relationships I've had as a professional fly angler. He used to come into the Orvis stores on Saturday mornings in the 90s and give presentations about falling springs and other spring creeks in the Cumberland Valley where he lives in Pennsylvania. Don't think what he's gonna tell you is limited to just fishing those streams. I approach this podcast as yes, he's the mid-Atlantic guru, on spring creeks but we're going to consider him the global guru because these tactics and approaches can be utilized at every spring creek wherever you are throughout the world so we're going to listen to these we're going to take notes you're going to sign up for mike's newsletter at fallingsprings.com you're going to bump into him and say hi when you're at the beaver creek fly shop in hagerstown and you're going to go buy his book because he is incredibly knowledge he's incredibly gifted in sharing his knowledge and he is just a super nice guy. I used to bump into him in parking lots in Pennsylvania and he would just give out free information. He wants you to catch more fish, better fish, and have a great time doing it, which is basically the whole purpose of this podcast. So I hope you really enjoy my interview with Mike. Sit back, relax, and there may be a caribou involved in this podcast. So Mike Heck, you're in Pennsylvania right now. If you were to throw a dart at Pennsylvania, where would it land on your location? We're here just outside Chambersburg, a small town of Fayetteville. A lot of people don't know it, but pretty much tell people Gettysburg, they're like, oh, okay, you're about 20 minutes away. Is there a celebrity you look like for people at home to picture you while you're speaking? Huh. Back in the day before I grew old, everyone said it was Brad Pitt. Right on, dude. Although I don't have his money. 
No, none of us do. I was just watching Ocean's Eleven, and he eats in every scene in that movie. And I believe there's a website dedicated to Brad Pitt eating in movies. <laughs> Never noticed that he's always eating. Well, he has to keep those muscles up. Yeah, man. All right, so we're going to talk about your life in Pennsylvania. How did you get into to fly fishing? Did you grow up where you are now? And just take us through the first like twenty something years of your life. Sure, man. I always love I always love fishing. I'd say probably when I was eight years old, I got fascinated why trout started feeding on other things other than, you know, bait and night crawlers, power bait, stuff like that. So I actually started collecting insects. And my uncle taught me how to tie one fly, and I took it from there. And then the following springs got changed over to fly fishing anyway. So those stretches I used to fish, I had to fish flies now. So... I just went up through there, and then once I got my license, it was game one because we're just so blessed with water here in Fadville. I mean, I've fished all over the United States, but, you know, just here in my backyard, I can go five minutes, and I'm on four different streams. Wow. Tell us about the geography of where you grew up that made these limestone streams available to you and compare it to, I guess, people that might live in other places in the world that have spring creeks. Right. Well, the geology here is... Uh, you got you got your uh, sandstone for the mountains, but you got that limestone belt that starts in Virginia and trickles its way in the south central PA and just a little bit into New York. So with that limestone, that water goes down there, hits that limestone, and it's impenetrable, and they form these massive lakes, and then that water works up through that limestone, and the limestone has a, a mineral in it called calcium carbonate which helps keep that water at a high pH level once it bubbles out of the ground. Plus, the water is also cold and it's full of nutrients. And this Cumberland Valley is just blessed with all these limestoners. you got the famous ones, and then, you know, minutes away from the famous ones, you got little ones. I can go I can go towards Mercersburg, being one, you know, in some places, why is my counter here? And I'm catching little wild, wild rainbows. I need more of that in my life. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I've had chances of God through the United States, but what we got here in this area is just a blessing. How did you get into guiding? So you grew up, Falling Springs Branch, turned into fly fishing only, so you got to start fly fishing, and then someone was like, hey, man, you're pretty good at this. I'll, I'll pay you to take me out. Uh, kind of like that. How I, got into, how I got into the guiding, I didn't really think I'd be a guide. I mean, I taught my science teacher entomology in high school my senior year. When I was in college, my professor, Dr. Hamilton, when we were doing the one forestry class, he actually talked to the dean of Mont Alto and actually uh, got to do the uh, macroinvertebrate study for that class and taught it. But I would say it was probably around 22, my dear friend Ed Schenk had seen me on uh, the Yellow Breaches, and I was testing out this new midge pupa pattern. And he just looked at it and shook his head. He goes, it'll catch fish. He goes, teach people what you know at such a young age. And then I, I, I've pretty much taken it all from there. So we'll count Ed Shank as one of your mentors. That's just nuts. Oh, absolutely. And then 12 years old, I met Joe Humphreys. My dad would always take me up there, and he'd do this free uh, uh, there at Gallenberry. Usually it was the week before trout season. He would do a free fly fishing thing there. And we got to meet him. He got to talk about morel mushrooms one year. And my dad and I just talked, 
chuckled, and we're like, we got a bunch in the truck, so we gave him a quart of them, and we've been friends ever since. Wow. The thing I, I mean, there's a lot of things I find fascinating about Joe Humphreys. The fact that his father was a Civil War veteran, or is his grandfather? One of the two is just boggles my mind. Right. Yeah, that's just amazing. So back in the day, I'm guessing it was fiberglass, bamboo, and the birth of terrestrial fishing is, is your time growing up there? I would I'd actually start, I would say, right when terrestrials was started, that's what Justin uh, Pittman from Precision Flying Tack was just saying. I've been in this 40-some years guiding 29. I've pretty much seen the whole spectrum of the changes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Ed Shank and them had already developed those terrestrial patterns, but it wasn't until the mid-'80s that foam became the big uh, rave. You know, you start time flies with foam, and then it went from synthetics, now UV dubbings, and then how all the tactics have changed through the years. You're right, we did start out with glass and uh, some graphite, uh, but then you look at how... The equipment has evolved now. A lot of the a lot of the rods cast themselves. And it's pretty easy now. What about the flies? I remember it used to be like Matukas, Sculpins were like a big streamer back in the day, Crest Bugs, BWOs. What else is the hot fly up there? You got your midge pattern? You got your shrimp patterns and you know, all all the flies basically whatever flies you can't tied to uh, imitate these insects. But you're right, the Cumberland Valley is where terrestrial fishing was born. Y you look at fly-wise, you know, back in the day it was all natural materials. And again, you're, we're getting into those synthetics now. You have the big Euro craze, which that's, that's changed patterns. But I see now people are starting to go back into uh, fishing the traditional patterns again, tied with just natural natural materials. Is the Euro-nymphing approach feasible on these spring creeks where as you're approaching them, the fish can feel and hear you from far away and you've got to cast close in? Can you sneak up on trout in that kind of environment? And It's, it's interesting. Yes and no. I, I always, in my presentations I do, I always say observation. And observation begins when I open the back door. However, when I get to the stream, I'm looking again. If that water on those spring creeks are crystal clear, you're not gonna you're not gonna be urinifying anymore. You're gonna spook them. But if the water's high and off color or dirty, you can't sneak up on them and fish the traditional high stick, you know, the high stick fashion. And when I'm picturing these spring creeks, I've been there. So Spring Creek, Fallen Springs, they're typical pasture sort of streams you find in England. Is that just typical of a spring creek in general? Kind of the pasture, grasses along the edge, plenty of bugs, not a whole lot of trees to worry about on your back cast? Yeah. For the most part, most of our spring creeks do lie through the meadows. However, you do have ones that actually look like a, a freestone stream, and two of the most popular, for example, is the Upper Yellow Breaches, which is a true spring creek, and then Yellow Creek out in Bedford County. And, and it seems to me that these spring creeks kind of follow Route 81. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much. If you look at the geology, if you look at the bed, if you look at the rock studies, that's where the heart of the uh, limestone belt goes right up through. 
Yeah, and you can follow fly shops all the way through up there. Pretty much, yes. You mentioned Precision Fly, so let's talk about your history with the owner and, and how that started. Justin and I have been friends, I probably since the 80s. I can remember when he started Holly Flies when he bought it. And I can remember, he can remember days I would, you know, I would start my business. I'd stick business cards on every window I'd see in parking lots. And I worked, I worked real hard to get to this point. And Justin's worked real hard to get where he is. He went from Holly Flies and decided to open up fly shops. And I'd worked with Justin through the years. I'd help him guide. But uh, two years ago, he asked me to come on board to be their head trap guide to revamp their guide program. And it's really, we've really done real well. We started a, a Go Guide, which is an online guide system. So we have an online calendar for pretty much the world to see. And as of now, he's already, he has three shops. He has the Mount Holly location, Lancaster, and then the Beaver Creek location down in Maryland, which lies right on Beaver Creek and other excellent Spring Creek. They had a pretty big second fish kill this year recently. Unfortunately, they did, yes. I think it was August 7th when uh, the fish kill happened. Yeah, I was down there in February. I didn't see a whole lot. It's been also, as you know, it's been crazy dry this year. Yes. So how is that affecting your fishing? With Does less water percolate up through the limestone? When there's it takes, with the aquifers being as deep as they are, I mean, you're talking, you're talking massive reservoirs underneath the surface of the earth. And through the years, it takes year after year of a drought to lower those aquifers. Where you need the replenishing is in the wintertime, uh, much like your freestand streams. You want that snowpack and all that because come fall, winter, the uh, trees and the grasses and the shrubs aren't wanting to suck in as much water. So that, that water is able to go back down in the aquifer and replenish the aquifer. What are the different tactics if you're in a drought year? I imagine there'd be a little more dry grass, more bugs, more terrestrials. There is. Uh, dry years like this when the waters can be really, really low and clear. I, four weights are ideal, but uh, I tend to start fishing uh, three weights and uh, some days even two weights. And unfortunately with the two weights, it's pretty much dry fly fishing anyway. With some of my three weights I use, I can get away with some dry droppers. Did you ever bump into Vince Marinero? I, I've never, I never met Vince. Because he said after one incident, he wouldn't go out to Latorte without a salmon net. So I imagine a two-way, there might be some, some big fish hiding down in there. There's still some big fish on Latorte. you got, you got to really, really hunt them and hunt them and hunt them. Uh, I know a guy that works for an aquatic firm up the road. And he gets skunked day after day after day, but he finds where these big fish are, and he eventually, maybe a month or, month or so, two or three months, he finally will catch that brown trout he's been stalking, and he catches some pretty big browns. Latour has bounced back a little bit since the uh, mid-'80s fish kill, but it, it's still, it isn't the Latour of the day. Bill Skilton told me how he would go down in a boat, and they would just clear all the weeds out of it. Yeah, they used they that was a uh, Cumberland Valley TU thing they used to do. Uh, I don't think they've done that for two years now. That's a beautiful stream. Again, I just don't live close enough. My closest limestone, I think, is Mossy Creek, which might be farther than you are to me. I could probably get to Chambersburg in the same time I can get down to Mossy. Mm-hmm. 
This is not fair. I live in the wrong place. <laughs> so have you fished spring creeks throughout the world, and can you compare them to what you have? Passes, flows? I pretty much fished the spring creeks in the United States. I mean, you certainly have some uh, bigger ones out west, but some of the smaller spring creeks are very, very similar to ours, the same hatches. I mean, right, right now, uh, out west, you still have the terrestrial fishing, the uh, cricket fishing, the, uh, of course, your, your big uh, hoppers, and you can still possibly still find some trachos. I still have one of your moth flies. Are you still catching bats by accident using moth flies? No, I haven't caught a bat in a while, thank heavens. <laughs> so you just stick the rod tip underwater is what you told me? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, there's not much you can do to take a bat off. That's wild. I just introduced my daughter to throwing at, like an acorn in the sky and watching a bat chase it. And she's 12. She had never thrown anything in the air and had a bat chase it before. I feel like I'm a bad parent. <laughs> yeah, we had a bat swoop down right near us the other day. They're still around eating bugs. But it's been a low mosquito year because of the dryness. It has been around here. Well, we're bad thing what we're getting around here this year with it being such a warm winter this year, it's no big deal. I mean, God put them on the earth for some reason. The darn yellow jackets are horrible up here this year. Really? Interesting. Uh, what about lantern flies? Have they made it over towards you? Uh, big time. I, I was actually just out in the backyard before you and I connected. Last year, I didn't have a single one. I have hundreds of them on my trees right now starting to mate in egg light. Really? Have you found that trout eat them? Because the last podcast we did, the native fish didn't really know what they were, and I don't think a non-native fish had been seen eating one either. I have seen them earlier in the year, the early nymph stages, both the uh, black and red beetles. I actually came home and tied a couple flies to imitate, and they were on them. And then last week when I went out, just took a break from tying flies, and the conic jig was just littered with them. And I actually watched trout stalk to eat those things in the flats that are, you know, the water's not moving real far, and they were able just to cruise around. And they were attacking, they were attacking these lanternflies like the cicada hatch. Wow. That's incredible. Now, every time I read the word conigajig, I've never figured out how it's pronounced from the spelling since you first said it in a presentation. That is, it does not sound like it should be pronounced that way. It's, 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 a, it's an old Indian tribe. Okay. I think I think it I think the Conig Jig means the uh, river of many terms. Okay. So I believe what the Conig Jig was. Us locals just call it the jig. The jig. If you want to sound like a local boy, just say the jig. We'll know. Okay. We'll know what about how's uh, Falling Springs coming back? That all right. So Big Springs, my podcast listeners know, is the one that had the hatchery that dumped right into it, and the fish were huge. Uh, did you ever guide clients there for those freak show fish? Back in the day, yeah, when I started up, I mean, you had the ditch. Once we, once we shut the hatchery down, it took a year we had reproducing trout. And you just went from hole to hole because there wasn't much structure. Now at the restoration, there's a, fair, there's a good amount of great structure and still abundant uh, rainbows and brook trout to be found. However, the pressure has been so hard this year the fish just need a break. I don't. I don't get on it till winter again. Are there spring creeks up there that are not fished, maybe on private property or just inaccessible in general, that may have some kind of 
monsters in it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of posted. I mean, row run down the road for me. Unfortunately, uh, through years of trash and litter, the guy posted his sex on property, and row run is a lesser-known spring freak and had by far one of the best sulfur hacks in the area. And like on Beaver Creek down in Maryland, there's some private water there. I was just doing it two weeks ago, uh, assessing my friend's uh, section of stream to see if there's any trout and insects left from the uh, kill. And it was, he has an amazing stretch of water down on Beaver Creek that he gets to play on. That's amazing. That's my goal in life. <clears throat> yeah, me, I, me too. I'd love to get this water. Yeah. Yeah, people are like, you sticking around here? You know, when you get old, I'm like, heck no. You know, like, shad and stripers and smallmouth are fun and largemouth, but I want to go watch fish in a spring creek. Like, I love those benches that used to be along the Latour where you could just sit and watch. Right. Yep. That's incredible. Same with, you know, along Allenberry, you've got some walls and some stumps. You can just sit down and watch fish mm -hmm. in clear water. You don't have to fish all day. You sit out there and enjoy it. Yeah. Absolutely. What about the Erie trees? Do you ever get out there and use your Spring Creek tactics for some steelies? You can. Uh, ben John, who manages the uh, precision shop, he does our steelhead guiding for uh, precision. And I help out from time to time with group trips if you need to. I unfortunately don't get up much because that gets into my hunting season. Oh. But, yeah, I mean, you're a nymphing, if you want to call it that. Classic techniques work easy for steelhead. I mean, steelheading is not that, really not that hard in the fall of the year. You find where the fish run, where they hold, and 90% of the time you're fishing eggs off indicators. Do you have a specific egg pattern you like more than others? I use, I, I tie simple West Hawes eggs and just, uh, just simple, uh, I just use McFly phone. I like that stuff too. You got to make sure your fingers are like smooth though. This stuff right. gets caught up on your rough fingers. Yeah, it does. But yeah, I mean, I don't tie anything, I don't tie anything fancy. That, that beadhead caddis I tie in green in a size uh, 10 and 12, people have been using them up there. And then, of course, you can always swing streamers for them. And last, if the water's high and muddy, you know, that's your best thing, throwing some big streamers, just push them underwater around. What's a big streamer nowadays for the spring creeks? You know, like I mentioned earlier, a, a size like four Matuka was big back in the day. Are people still throwing, like, just giant meat flies through there? Trying to oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I, just uh, there, we had a spring... We had a trip, uh, I think it was in April, and we got blowed out on the breaches, but the guys were down from New York, and it was like, we'll, we'll, we'll move fish. And we were, I was throwing size, they were size two woolly buggers the first day, and that was that was the way we moved fish, just big, dark flies. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, with streamers back in the day, it was single hooks. Now you look now, you know, a lot of stuff's going articulated. Do you find that those big hooks are going to put fish down for a while after they've bitten onto them? Oh, I, any, I think any time a fish, you know, hits gets hit by a hook pretty hard, I think they're going to be shut down for a while. Uh, but then it also relates back into insect activity. If you have a, you know, good hatch or whatnot, they may forget rather quick and want to feed. 
Whereas a slow, slow insect, they, they, you know, they get hit, stung by a hook pretty hard. They may just want to hang out for a little bit more. Right. Let's talk about the hatches. So what are the hatches on your streams? And can you go through sort of the calendar or seasons of them and the flies you use to imitate them? Yeah. Well, midges, midges are year-round. I mean, with midges, if you have a day out here, it's 38 and above, you'll have, you'll have midges. Definitely midge pupas, disco midges for underneath. A lot of the midges I tie now so I can see the darn little things, I'm using either a pink or an orange post, just just a parachute tie, just like Baltz's, I can see it. That way I can see them. After that, you know, generally speaking on all these streams, you got the blue-wing olives, which will start up uh, maybe February and last, they can sometimes last all year. They're a multi-brooded insect, so you will have a nice, you will have more of them coming off like right now this time of year. Some of our streams have the early black stones. Uh, CDC imitation, the daddy stonefly works real well for that. Blue wing olive-wise, it's, it depends on the rice form. I mean, I'll use my snowshoe emerger. I developed parachutes, comparaduns to a uh, simple, just a hackle dry fly. And, after that, we start getting into the caddis season. And there's so many caddis to be named, it's unreal. I mean, on the fall, on the conning jig, fall and springs, even up into the yellow breaches, you can get black caddis, tan caddis, you know, speckled caddis. Uh, a few of the streams in the area have the, the famous granum hatch, uh, which that's a great stream. Pretty much for there, I just use uh, your standard elk hairs, uh, deer hair caddis, uh, CDC caddis I love with the movement of the CDC. Then you get into the famous sulfur season. Everyone loves the evening sulfurs because they're a you know, big fly and uh, people can see them. And as that time of year progresses, now we start getting into the terrestrials. Your ants, beetles will start first, and then you just keep your ears listening to crickets and walk the meadows and wait for the hoppers to start. And then the last hatch of the year is Vince Marinaire called it the White Curse, the Trichos. That's your big hatch that ends the season. And then you get now you're getting in the fall. We get the olives starting. And then some of our streams right now, I've been seeing them, we get into the uh, big size 12 October caddis. And then after that, we fall back into midges, and the cycle will start again back in January. If there's a prime season for someone to come up and hire you to go out, what do you think it would be? If they want, say, just numbers of fish? Uh, April, through, April through June, by far. What if they want to catch their bucket list big fish? That time of year isn't bad if you can get away from pressure. This time of year, if you're willing to get skunked right now, uh, you got to target brown trout. Two things that makes this time of year amazing fishing is one, they've summered over. They weren't feeding much in that the heat of the with the water. Now the water's cooled off. Right now, right now, it's a lot of our free stoners are flowing 59, 60 degrees again. And they're back on the bite because the water's cold. And secondly, those brown trout are starting to fatten up for the spawn. 
Speaking of fattening up, who's got the best lunch out there where you, you fish? Huh. Depends what you're depends what you're up the mood for. If I'm up in the Yellow Breaches area, there's this cool little place in Centerville uh, called Keck's Country Store. It's an archer shop in back with a little restaurant that cook in the front of the building. And when I'm up there, I always swing into that place. In fact, my son Fisher was upset the other day because I swung in there and got cheeseburger, and he hated me. Oh, yeah. That, 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 it's just a cool, it's a cool little sidekick of a store. What about in Chambersburg? We were always excited because there was a Sheets there. And now Sheets is kind of everywhere. So it's, and, and I'm not a fan of their sandwiches too much anymore. What's oh, sheets, is, sheets are everywhere. I'm, I pretty much cook on my own now. If someone's if someone's in the area and wants you know fished all day long, wants a great sit down dinner, Copper Kettle by far is one of the most famous places in Chambersburg, and the food's excellent. We just ate there a couple weeks ago, in fact. Are there things that you can buy up there you can't get anywhere else? What are you guys known for other than your fishing? Uh, boy, I don't know. It's a good question. We have some nice wineries over in the Gettysburg area. Adams County Winery and stuff like that. Of course, Gettysburg's a huge popular attraction. One of the biggest things in this area, and a lot of people actually come up here and fly fish and maybe do a half day or something, is we got tons of golf courses. I mean, this area is just loaded with golf courses around here. Is that because of it's a valley or because of, again, the geography and topography? I'm, I'm guessing it's maybe the geography. I don't know why all these golf courses are all over the place up here. Do they have fishable ponds? I'm actually down below my house here. It's a, it's a nice little golf course. I actually use their pond for my casting lessons. Oh, that's nice. They don't run you my off. son my son actually goes down there and he'll catch four pound uh pickerel. Whew. What does he use for those? He he'll use the fly he'll use his fly rod or his traditional tackle. You take it like a clouser minnow? Clousers are uh he ties he ties this crazy crazy streamer. I mean I taught him how to tie flies at a young age and he's taking it to this new streamer crazy. He ties this thing called the uh, Boonasty. Uh, we've never seen it online. I mean, I've talked to my buddies, Mike Schmidt and all them, and they're like, have you named the thing? And that thing that thing in Chartreuse and White's just killer on the Susquehanna River in Juniata. Can you describe it for us? Huh, I wish I had one for you. Basically, call it the Boonasty because the back segment and part of the front segment's uh, Marabou, and then he uh, laser dubs the head and kind of cuts, kind of gets it into shape, uh, throws some living eyes on it, and then uh, solarizes the head so it retains that shape. Very cool. Using the uh, UV hardcore. The UV mm-hmm. hardcore so it retains that shape for him. Does your wife fish? Nah, she'll sit there and she'll sit there and watch me, but her fishing basically, if we go on the vacations, uh, throw a line out in the salt water and wait for something to come along right she she oversees the other side of the business that i can't stand she's been a blessing she does you know the book work she does the emails you know make sure i'm time flies all the time why she can do the other stuff 
Do you get upset when hooks end up around the house where they're not supposed to be? Uh, yeah, I, I Fisher had an old habit of I got him straightened up because uh, I go in the room and clean up or whatnot. It wasn't fun to find a hook in a sock. Yeah, yeah. My roommates in college were always finding hooks in their team socks, but I'm up here now in my kitchen and I'm sorting just random hooks and they're falling. So I've got my my magnetic broom from Home Depot and then I've got the Roomba to go around afterwards. Nice. I guarantee someone's still going to get a hook somewhere in their shoe or sock or something. Yeah. What's terrible is when you do laundry and you come out and you find a hook in something. Yeah, and you have to find it before someone else does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Always troublesome to me. What about fly tying material just randomly in the house? I just found some pink marabou on the cutting board here. It's just, it's everywhere. Oh, it's like a magnet. I mean, I tie upstairs, but... Every week I gotta do the steps off because it seems like you're right. <laughs> this stuff's just a magnet. It's just you can see a trail by the end of the week coming right out of my room down the steps. My downstairs steps. It's like every time I step, it falls off of me, and it just lands on those five wooden stairs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where it all congregates. Deer hair is the worst when you're sitting there trimming deer hair because it gets all over you. Yes, I don't do that. Not for that, but I just don't want to have to deal with a sharp razor. Yeah, I hurt myself. What about if somebody needs to gear up for a Spring Creek trip? Let's say somebody is in Tennessee and they want to drive up there and, and fish a Spring Creek, and they've never done it before. How should they pack? Uh, packing starts right with clothing. Nothing bright. Go, go with your doll colors. If you want to tend to blend in, of course, whatever, whatever equipment, if you're in the long rods, short rods, it, that really doesn't matter. Again, that's personal preference. Summertime, you can get into wet wading. However, I don't recommend it because of the tick problem up here. I certainly wade her up uh, just for some protection. I mean, I have full-blown Lyme's disease, and thank heavens we got it under control now, but I, I want something over me. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, no, you, no, don't wet wade these spring creeks. You can, you know, someplace you can be littered with them. That you can just step and sink up to your armpits. Right, right. Just like the Latour. It becomes, come summertime when the water's back up, it becomes almost uh, impossible to wait. But definitely clothing's a big thing. Sunscreen, drinks, stuff like that. You definitely want to be prepared. Insect repellent's big. Polarized lenses can be, is pretty good for some people. I, I have no problem seeing the fish. On most days, but a polarized lenses will work. Do you suggest a lens color for people? Uh, amber seems to work best. I'm still waiting for them to come out with a polarized contact lens. That would be cool as hell. Yes. But, uh, again, rod-wise, it's uh, all preference. Certainly, fly line-wise, you don't want anything bright. Just keep the traditional colors of the greens and the browns. There's so many colors out there now, it's, ri- it's ridiculous. And then uh, leader-wise, that could all depend on what you're throwing or the time of year. Leaders could be anywhere from, say, 9 feet to 10 feet. Tippet sizes could be anywhere from 4X to, uh, I don't even get into 7X anymore, truthfully. Uh, Trico Hatch was the mandatory 7X, but Scientific Anglers now has these half sizes, and they're phenomenal. I haven't tied on 7X all year. So you're using uh, 
6.5. Love it. Really? But say nymph fishing wise, I used to use, I dropped my 4x to 5x in these slow summers. Now I'm at 4.5. And some of my dry fly fish instead of 6x is 5.5. And maybe I mean, this stuff's phenomenal. I, lo I love this stuff. Maybe I haven't been in a fly shop in a while to, to have seen something like that come out. And they sell that at Precision? Yes, we have it at Precision. Excellent. But those half size, I mean, you, you're, we are not been friends for years. And you, I don't know if you remember, I mean, I was a super strong fan. I love the Orbis super strong, but now the scientific anglers, tippets and the fly lines, their stuff's unreal. It's, you know, they've set the bar right now. I like that. I like new and innovative stuff coming out. Yeah, they've, they've done an amazing job with uh, how they've uh, changed their lines and textured I just started fishing textured lines for trout. I have smooth lines, but some, some of the textured lines I really, really like for uh, the trout fishing. Is it for a distance thing? And how far are these casts? I can get... I just bought the, uh, I had to buy myself a toy this year, so I bought the uh, TNT Lodic. I just, I love that glass. I love glass still. I love the way it lands soft on the water, and I put a texture line on it. Now, I'm not casting on the stream that far, but I can go out in the backyard and throw 50 feet. And I don't know, thing with the texture line, it, it, it holds water. I mean, when you're bringing the line in, your, your hands are going to get wet. And I don't know... Uh, if there's how much they've looked into it, but you know, I'm sure there's friction with, within the casting stroke itself. And I'm just wondering if the water retention doesn't lighten up when the friction into the guides. But the texture lines, they're both their texture line or smooth lines, incredible. Have you fished one of those in sub freezing temperatures? If it's Got water in those? Ones? I've not done it yet. I mean, I I thought about that the other day. I'll probably go back to my smooth lines in the in the cold water temperatures because I thought about that. Because even you know, in the data winter up here, any line you're going to uh, create ice on the guides. Mm -hmm. But then, however, if you look at the other ray, the reason you get ice on the guides is not when it's not when you're retrieving the line. It's ten when you sit there and. It gets, uh, you know, they get iced up from just uh, being stationary. So maybe with more water coming in, it's going to keep them from freezing up as much. So it's going to be an interesting thing to try out this winter. And how do you prevent, or when it is iced up, how's your method to get it off? Uh, stick it in the water or very lightly put your hand around it. Uh, there's not much you can do. I mean, some days, some days it just gets too cold. I just change my tactics to where maybe I'm doing 100% high stick nymphing, where I'm not having to throw any line through the guides to keep them from icing. Because once once it gets to the point it's down in halfway through the rod, it, it becomes embarrassing. You know, it's like it's not fun to fish anymore. Right. I'm taking ice off the guides every four or five casts. Yeah, that's just that gets annoying. Then I'll get angry, and then I start heating up inside all my layers when that happens. Is that a uh, caribou behind you? Uh, yes, that is. Did you shoot that? It was shot up in Canada. 
Wow. Have you ever taken anything off it for a fly? No, no. All right. So, spring crease. You get out of the car, you're in the parking lot, you're setting everything up. What what should somebody do to approach a spring creek? How is how is their like approach different than say like a freestone or I don't know, a tailwater? Uh basic I mean, if you think about it, the approach can be seen for all the streams. But on these smaller spring creeks, first thing's observation. Look at your water first. You know, see if it's clear, see if it's off color, and then focus, you know, think of your uh, tactics to uh, figure to go with the, the water conditions. Then the next thing I do is insects. Are there insects, are the fish rising, or are they pretty much underneath? I mean, I'd say 80% of the time, you're, these trout aren't going to come to you. you got to go to them. I mean, they're out there every day. They know every, you know, branch that's hanging over the water, blades of grass. I mean, they, they know their environment better than us. So if I see fish rising, I'm going to try to figure out what they're rising to first. And if they're not rising, if you're unfamiliar with the streams, roll your rocks around, pull out some water crest, see what's out there to match your flies accordingly. And then, like I said, if the water's clear, you're fishing upstream almost 100% of the time. Uh, especially on clear sun, you know, clear water sunny days. It's upstream presentations. And then, you know, if you can get into some bigger, deeper riffles, you know, you can possibly get up and do the tight line tactics on them for underneath fishing. How much of this is walking and stalking versus just sitting in one spot and waiting for something to happen? That's a neat thing. Like we said earlier about just hanging out in the back. You can do... There's some days I don't feel like moving around much. I'll just hang out, maybe wait for a trout too. Or there's some days I'll, you know, say it's terrestrial season, tie a cricket on with some type of dropper underneath and just start blowing through water and hoping for the best. And then if I venture onto a fish that's feeding, if you don't want, you know, the big fly, you know, time to switch off and match what they're feeding to. Yeah, that, the fun thing about the spring creeks is it is a lot like stalking. It's like, you know, stalking white-tailed deer in muzzleloader season up here. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I mean, it, that's that's fun thing to do. I mean, you can make 500 casts catch nothing, you make five casts catch five fish. Right. You know, just stalk up through it. Okay, there's one, take my time, work on him, keep on rolling. Ed Stank would talk about some spots where, like, a stump was in a deep hole. Are fish going to be in shallow water, or are you going to find them in, in the deeper spots? Yeah, I mean, with these, that's that's the uh, unique thing with the spring creeks. With the water remaining cold, you know, I've, I've seen some of these, you know, bigger fish lay in water that's, you know, 12 to 14 inches deep. And they're utilizing the uh, water crests as undercut banks. They just lay right alongside of them. And, of course, if you find your log structures in the water or you find, you know, fallen trees, you're definitely going to have fish there, too. What about the willow trees? I'm always looking for a willow tree along the banks. Oh, yeah. If there's a tree, it's, if there's a willow that's falling in the water, creating what I call a low pressure, you know, creating a hole, you're normally going to have fish in a deep hole there. And can people walk through these trees or are they going to get sucked in the muck if they try to cross? I try not to wade through these spring creeks. They're silly, of course. I mean, they're low-gradient streams. 
and it takes, you know, torrential rain to flush out the silt from year to year. I'd practice, if I can work the stream along the bank, I will. But if I have to get in, I call it, you know, 90-degree wade. I get in, and I get right back out, and then start working the bank again, and I have to. I get back in and get back out. And then also doing it that way, if I'm working the bank, you know, I have a day that there's a lot of insect activity. I, bl- I blow up through the water like so many people do, a big mistake. This fish pr- could be done for the day. Whereas if I can work the bank, get in and out, in and out, I may possibly be able to sneak that down through and work that bead of water again. What about bridges? I love to find a bridge on a street. I love bridges, yep. So they're, they're yeah, my I mean, intuition's right. They're in there. Oh yeah, yeah. If you have a bridge, if you have deep water under the bridge, perfect shelter for them. How would someone fish that's, a bridge? I mean, that's a prime prime lie. They have food, cover, you name it. How would you approach a bridge? It depends. If I'm if I'm able to shoot a line uh, from downstream, I, I'll approach from downstream. I can get more chances that way because I'm not. Fishing upstream, I'm going to have to bring that line back up to me. So I'll try from downstream first, but then some of those bridges that uh, you know you can't get to, I'll I can down drift to fly to them, or uh, swing streamers under the bridge. What are some fish that you catch that you're not trying to catch in a spring creek? I uh, you can sometimes get suckers, of course. A few of the spring creeks actually have some big fall fish in them, but uh, I pretty much, pretty much are mostly full of trout and, like I said, just the common suckers, and that's about it. What are your bait fish patterns going to mimic? If you want to throw a streamer under a bridge, they're like darters, days, scalpins, mm-hmm. scalpins. Uh, of course, your uh, redfin minis, your black the daces, and certainly. Uh, Young of the year, rainbows and browns, depending on the stream you're fishing. Okay. Say, so, have you ever seen a fish eat something that you were totally not expecting? Snake, baby duck, turtle, frog? Trout-wise, I mean, back it's becoming popular again. Again, going back to the trends of what I've seen all these years, mouse fish in lake time is becoming a popular trend again. Going after big fish in lake time with mice flies. Is that legal in Pennsylvania to go out at night? Yeah. Yeah, they changed they changed the regs years ago. I think it was two or three years ago that you can you can fish at nighttime now. You don't have to be off at dusk. That should be the Joe Humphreys rule. Yeah, but I, I mean, getting off the trout thing, I, I do remember lakes below my house here called Five Lakes. I had permission to fish when I was a kid. I do remember watching a bass come up and eat a small gosling one time. Wow! Yeah, just devoured the thing. This these lakes were known for. I mean, monster bass. I mean, I caught one. It was back in the 80s. It would have been back in the day a state record, but I couldn't keep it because it was a private, mm-hmm. private pond. It was a 10-pound It was a ten pound bass. Wow. Well, you're halfway to Stout Valley with that. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was big. Very cool. What kind of net, if at all, do you carry? You like one of the yeah. new, new fancy ones? No net yeah, at all? I do. I, 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 like, I like my antiques and all that. I mean, the fish pond nets are awesome. You're not if you break one of them, man. You've you've leaned into it pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, I just use an old field uh, wood net. That just like I said, just that old school look to me. Mm-hmm. 
And then, yeah, I normally go through two of them a year. Did you ever wear the chest box with the flies? I, I, I've switched to chest packs years ago. Uh, I just, I like, I can get as much in a chest pack as I can, uh, a regular vest, and it seems like it doesn't, uh, by the end of the day, it doesn't uh, hurt my back as bad. Yeah. I used to carry a vest with just so much garbage in it. That would kill me by the end of the day. Yeah. And then, you know, it, we talked about, you know, how the rods have changed through the years with the technology and what they can put in them now. New, the new waiter company's been out there, I think, two years now, is these squalor waiters. Mm-hmm. I like the slide these things are, Yeah, these are the RS waiters with the zippers, just incredible. They have Mine has lumbar support on the back, so when I cinch that belt up, I can feel it on my back. Plus, the bottom of the soles are actually four millimeters. Uh, neoprene versus two millimeter neoprene, mm-hmm. so it's almost like you're walking on cotton. Yeah, they. I haven't had experience too much with Squala, but those some serious people. In the yeah, outdoors. they knocked they knocked them out of the park. Yeah, yeah, it's something I want to maybe check out on my next road trip when I go to some fly shops. Yeah, you still spend uh, money, you'll spend money on a pair of zippered waders, but as we all know, as we get older, it, it pays off in the long end. Not have yeah. to take waders down, the, you know. Gee. Yep, pretty much. And are you wearing reading glasses to tie and tie stuff on? Oh yeah, I'm, I, dude. You know me. I mid forties. Nah, my that went that went to hell. Yeah. Are you still tying on a regal vice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I won't tie on anything but regal. Yeah, it just makes it easier. It does, and I mean. I know that vice upstairs, my workhorse vice, it probably has 50,000 flies on it by now, easily. And you, you mentioned some of the new fly tying materials. Anything that's just blown your mind in the last couple of years that's come out? I tell you, just the other day, I put this stuff out. I, I actually had to help out the Beaver Creek shop, and I really, really like this dubbing. Pardon me for getting the exact name of it, but it's uh, from Fooling Mills now. And it was some uh, some Euro blend dubbing, and then some uh, just natural colors. And I tell you, it really popped to me. The Europeans have got some cool dubbings and and um, synthetics going on, like the Fully Mills and Semperfly. Oh yeah, Semperfly. Yeah, yeah like Shaggle, I, what is it? Shaggle is it the uh, it comes on a spool? Isn't it? Shaggle legs or something like that. Shaggle string. Buggy fishing looking yeah. stuff. UV shaggle string. I, I've tied with that, and I like I like the looks of some of the flies coming with it. Yeah. you working on a second book? Uh, I hear there's we have there's rumors out there we may be uh, doing a uh, revised edition of Spring Creeks. Okay. Very good. Uh, yeah. So possibly down the road here. It's still selling. Spring Creeks is still selling almost as good as it was if it just came out like it did 15 years ago. So I eventually see that to happen again because so, so many things change. I can make definitely make a completely different book out of Spring Freaks now. Right on. What about the touring shows? Are you going to be visiting any of the, the winter circuits this coming fall, winter? It's going, to be a, it's going to be another busy season. I'll be down. don't know some of the dates yet, but I'll be, definitely be down in Virginia. The, uh, what, Fly Fishing and Wine Fest? Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, that one is a blast. Especially when my buddy 
Tim Freeman from Cool Water out there is going to be down there. We may get in trouble at nighttime. Where'd I go from there? Oh, I guess Edison will be next. I'll be uh, be one of the speakers up there again this year. And then from there, it's off to Pittsburgh, Cabin Fever Show, and then back to Lancaster to uh, do the uh, Lancaster Show as a speaker. Yeah, I was just thinking about the Lancaster Show the other day. We were in Wegmans, and there was the sound of a rooster going off. And I was oh, like, gosh, is Evan Brandt here? Yeah, is Evan there? That's the first thing I was like, where is he? Yeah, you were on the side of that bird that year. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was. I don't know how that thing wasn't cooked by the end of the night. Yeah. Well, who, who knows with what we get into after yeah. the uh, gate shut. And did I haven't been at most of the show since COVID. How has fishing changed during COVID? Did a lot of people learn to socially isolate up on the streams? No, I, not really. It didn't. What COVID did with everyone off work, it made for a lot more traffic on the streams. Now that's changed and subsided. However, a lot of people got into fly fishing. The past two years, I've done more beginner classes up here at my house than I have in probably 10 years. Wow. Brought a lot of new people into the sport because they needed something to do outside. How many people from the D.C. area come up still? Is it, you see a lot of Virginia, D.C. tags? Yes, yeah. That, the D.C., uh, you're in Northern Virginia, D.C., uh, into the Philly, New Jersey area. That's where the bulk of people, they'll travel to get over here to fish because we got, you know, some of the best water throughout the entire year. Like right now down, you know, down in Maryland, a lot of those, except the western part of the state, which is fabulous fishing, your eastern part of the state, the streams are still low and still low right now. So those people are still traveling 35, 40 minutes to get up here and fish. Right. If you're going to drive somewhere to fish that's not locally, how far are you going to drive for a day trip? Uh, I keep – now I keep it under like an hour and a half. Just, you know, for me, five hours fishing is good anymore. You know, eight hours. I don't need eight hours on the stream. So if I can if I can make it up, it's about two hours. But uh, go up to Little Lehigh, something like that. Maybe go to Juniata. Uh, Yellow Creek, Potter Creek, that's in distance for me. You guys have got way too much water to fish in Pennsylvania. It's just mind-boggling. Oh, yeah. Well, you think about it. Like I said, we were talking about the jig here. You know, it it starts out as a great trout fishery. But come summertime, if I don't feel like going to Susquehanna River in Juniata and dealing with the float tubes, dealing with the kayakers, dealing with other people – I can hit the lower end of the conic jig and blue line smallmouth fish. Take my little five weight out, I'm catching 10, 12 inch smallies. And as you know, that's a trip. Yeah. And I'm not, fighting any, I'm not fighting anybody. That's sweet. Particular flies you like for the smallies? Uh, any flashy minnows and small poppers. Small, you know, foam little poppers. Small little poppers. Do you like the flymen foamy ones that you can just stick on a hook and pop legs through? They're pretty cool. I like the ones where you use two millimeter sheet foam and you super glue them together and then glue it on the hook. That's it's pretty neat. And you can mess. There's so much different colors of sheet foam out there. You can mess around with so many different patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, foam was. I got a little. 
dragonfly tail here that's articulated. Yeah. And, and it's bendable. And there's, I know the last time I was out, uh, boogle, there's boogle bugs. I was tearing, I was tearing smallies up with those things. Yeah, those are indestructible. Well worth yeah. the price. They are. Yeah. Sliders, poppers, you have a preference for the shape of the head? Uh, Fisher ties all my smallmouth flies. He's using his, what, those fish skull, are they bait heads? The fish skull ones? Yeah. Yeah, the fly men. Yeah, yeah, the fly men, yeah, the bait, yep. Yeah, he's using the, uh, the weighted ones or the plastic ones. Okay. And he puts them, that's like I said, he, I tell him what I want, he ties them for me. That's not bad having your own little assistant to tie flies. No, no, he's come a long way. In fact, he, in fact, he's invited. At 17 years old, he ought to be pretty honored. He's actually invited to do the Lancaster show as a celebrity tire this year. Right on. That's pretty cool. You guys gonna have the same booth? Yeah, I'm gonna stick him right at my table with me. Okay. I remember you sort of me. He did cabin fever last year with me. What's that? You sold a lot of Crelexes or Claw Dads one year at your booth. Oh, yeah. I saw that one year. I saw, yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't. I think I was tired of why they were bu sell, buying them. Crazy. So you mentioned Cabin Fever. That seems to be like a Pennsylvania-only thing. I never heard about it here until I went to the Lancaster show and people mentioned it. Cabin Fever, it's, it's a fundraiser for uh, Pennswoods TU. It's a, it's a Sunday show, but it's... I tell you, the people roll in because it's some. I think it's like the last weekend of February. I'm not. I don't think they they didn't give me the date yet. But man, I tell you, it draws in a bunch of people. People are just you know, winners kind of primarily over. They're fed up with being inside. And they get out and just love the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nick Culber and them normally have great speakers. Last year, I was one of the speakers. They don't do the same speakers uh, year after year, so I don't know who their big speakers are going to be this year, but it, it draws in, you know, a bunch of people from that area. That's fantastic. Yeah, I guess our only thing down this way is the Fine Fishing and Wine Festival. Yeah, that's about it. Do you remember the old show at the NCCTU had the show at Georgetown Prep back in the day? Oh, my, I probably one of the first, yeah. Yeah, that was that was back. That was eight, that was ages ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think your caribou just winked at me. That's Bernie, man. Bernie is his name. Bernie. Right on. I still can't believe you haven't like taken a little tuft of that little caddis. Uh, nah, just have him hanging on the wall. All right. What happened to the rest of it? It went in the freezer. Ooh. And then the stuff you're going to shoot this fall, does that get processed for time, belly? Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, I'm hoping next week, I mean, I, you know my squirrel blend dubbing I use for my caddis flies. I have one squirrel hide left, so I'm in like Defcon 5 right now needing squirrels. My buddy is picking them off. They're, they're on his deck, and he shoots them from the TV. Like, he's got his pellet gun set up on sandbags on his coffee table. And if there's a squirrel on his deck, he can just sit down and pop one off. You That's my kind of guy up in my tying room. I, I, can, I just have a 22 beside me. I just slide the window and pop the darn groundhogs off Wow! in the backyard. Yeah, I can't do that anymore with the mailman behind me. I used to shoot pellet guns out there. My girlfriend's parents' house, they got a huge lawn. 
and I can shoot whatever I want out there, and it's, it's not going to hit the neighbors. Yeah. Pretty yeah, I'm lucky. I got none but woods and fields behind me. Yeah. Anything else we didn't cover about spring creeks and your life fishing them? No, just uh, the thing about it is be prepared and don't get don't get intimidated by them. I mean, I don't know how many people I've got through the years just look at them and say, oh, no, I can't fish this. I said, yes, you can. They're not that hard to fish. You know, just you got to adapt to you got to adapt to the environment they they live in, and you know the biggest thing is trying to work around the weed beds as best you can, and whether you're fishing dry droppers, dries, you know streamers. I mean, days I'm not seeing many fish out, they're not going to move out of a crest bed, a crest undercut, or an LED undercut to take a crest bug. You're going to have to move them something big, and that's where streamers come in. I think that does it for my questions, man. Yeah, I'm good. Where can, can people find you at the Precision Shops? Are you just online there? Uh, I'm down. I mostly help out the Beaver Creek, Greensboro uh, location from time to time. Uh, but everyone can find me, you know, on my website, fallensprings.com. And they can and I have all my, all my products there. I'm already booking 24 already. Wow. Yeah, I'm already starting to book the spring trips in year 24. That's great. What about your, your book? If they want to get a physical copy of that, how do they go about it? Uh, best to get them a website and uh, order it online. All right. Uh, you can use PayPal because I'm. Uh, you won't find many hardback copies anymore. I got to get personally. I got to get them myself. Okay. And a lot of times I, we just found some people have found out they get a copy on Amazon. They're actually already a signed book. Ooh. Very cool. Hopefully yeah, your signature. Yeah, they're my signature, but they may have someone else's name on it. Okay. Yeah, I get books all the time that are you know, secondhand with people's signatures yep. in them. Yeah, they're claiming their they're claiming their first hand. You know, they may be able to say it's first edition, but it's been a used book. Right. Very cool. All right, Michael, thanks for taking the time out on this beautiful fall morning. No problem, brother. It was looking good catching up with you again. Hopefully I get to see you here coming up. Yeah, we're working on it. Yeah. Trying to get yeah. up there. All right, Definitely dude. stay in touch, brother. Very cool. All, All right, right, keep up the good work, man. Yep, you do the same. Right. right on. Enjoy your day. Yep, thanks, bro. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.